at Salem Baptist Christian School, um, there is something that our students should learn in chemistry class that uh, is really important for understanding the way that, that life works. Mr. Kleiner, do they learn the periodic table? Absolutely. Good. I'm really glad to hear that. I knew the answer to that already. I'm just going to make sure he knew the answer to that. Um, yeah, they're going to learn the elements of the periodic table. Um, by the way, how many of you can quote all the elements of the periodic table right now? My hand is not up. No, it's not. <laughs> there's no way I could do that. I'm sure there's some out there who, who probably could, but, um, but I, I certainly can't. There's a lot of it there. And, and, and what the periodic table does is it organizes the chemical elements for us. So it puts it all in one place. And these are all the essentials to life. All the chemical balances that, that we need for life. And, and this table shows us where it all comes together so that we can see all of it in that, in that one place. Well, today we're be beginning a five-week sermon series that we're calling Essentials. And the idea behind this is that there are some things that are essential for church life. What are the things that are essential for church life? Now, I want you to know that this is not all the essentials, but I'm going to hit some of the highlights over the next five weeks as we work through this, this series. Um, really, this is uh, just a reminder of some really important aspects of the church. So as we walk Salem Baptist Church through this over the next several weeks, I hope that you come every week and you're prepared um, really to learn from God's word about how we can better honor the Lord through our church and through what we do in our church. So we're going to talk about membership. We're going to talk about what God's word has to say about membership. We're going to talk about discipleship, about evangelism and conversion, about leadership. All of this from a perspective of seeing what God's word has to say about it. Now today we're talking about the essential church function of preaching and the importance of it. So today I'm preaching on preaching. Yeah, you see what I did there? Preaching on preaching. Thank you for the few chuckles that <laughs> I got out of that. Well, um, hey, listen, in the, in the periodic table, you've got the chemical symbols that are the letters, the acronyms. And what we're doing these next five weeks is I'm taking each one of these and, and you see even down here and up on the screen, the PR for preaching. So that's what we're talking about. Um, as we work through this idea of preaching, I think back to, um, to when I was growing up on a farm down in Southern Davidson County. Um, I say Davidson County because a lot of people don't know Denton and they don't know because uh, it's not a very big city. But down south of, of Denton, where I grew up, one, um, one time when I was growing up, I distinctly remember, not, I don't know how old I was, but I, I know that I walked outside my, my parents' back door and then down this long, long field, through the woods, through this field, there's a pond back there in the very back of, of the property. And, um, and I'll never forget that I started preaching. Now, I didn't have a Bible with me, but what I did is I remembered all the scripture that I could and I was, just, I was just spouting it out. And there was nobody there to listen to me except for the squirrels and the cows. Now, I hope that you stick around longer than the squirrels and the cows did this morning because it didn't take long at all and they were gone. But those seeds of way back then that I, that I learned and that I acquired in church with, with listening to preaching, with having God's word poured over me, that then I began to pour into with, with, um, with God's word in my, quiet, in my personal quiet time, that, that as I studied and as I grew, what I didn't know at that time was that God would take that and he would blossom it into me fulfilling an essential church function. 
something that I believe is in, in accordance to God's word, that, that one person standing up and preaching to other people, to other Christian people, to the lost, that is a part of God's function for the church. Biblical, gospel-centered, spirit-fueled preaching is crucial to the health of the church. Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. The power is not in the man. The power is in the message and in the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a power unto salvation. It's the power that saves us. We wonder why churches in our world today are powerless or lifeless, and I believe it can be most often pointed to the fact that the word of God and the good news of eternal life in Jesus Christ is not regularly preached. When one person stands and, and preaches the word of God to the people of God and to the lost, that's the model that we see in the New Testament. It actually goes back as far as the Old Testament when, when uh, the teachers would stand and they would read the law of God and then they would expound on the word to the people. No, Siri, you can just go away. I'm not talking to you. Acts chapter 10, we find an example of a sermon um, from Peter. And uh, I want to I start here in verse 34, reading in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, with your Bibles open up. I want you to read with me. Um, I'll read and uh, you follow along. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. This is one man, Peter, standing up and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying that there is salvation that's found in Jesus alone. This is a classic, a, a perfect example of a sermon that is preached. Peter outlines context. He again gives the truth of the gospel and he, and he challenges people to respond and the Holy Spirit falls in power. It's not Peter's power that falls on the people. It is the Holy Spirit's power that falls on the people. What I hope to do in the next few moments is to answer some of the most basic questions that, um, that people may have about preaching in general. And the way I'm going to navigate this is that I'm going to put a, a question on the screen and then we're going to work to answer it. In your handout today that you received when you came in, there's opportunity for you to fill in those blanks as we work through this. But first, what is biblical preaching? What is biblical preaching? And here's a basic definition of, of the act of preaching. And that is that preaching is the reading, explaining, illustrating and applying of God's word. It is 
reading, explaining, illustrating, and applying of God's word. Now you're in Acts chapter 10. Actually, go, go back to Acts chapter 2. All right? Acts chapter 2. So just a few pages back. When we get to Acts chapter 2, we're going to find the first sermon that is preached in the New Testament church. And once again, it's, it's preached by Peter. And I'm going, to, I'm going to show us as we walk through this the way that he reads, explains, illustrates, and applies God's word. Now in this sermon, he cites um, portions of the book of Joel. He, he cites Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. So there was the reading, or in this case, the recitation of the word of God. And then he explains and he applies. Let's look at this, starting in verse 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now stop there for a moment. Here's some context to what just happened. Jesus has ascended back to heaven. All right? The Holy Spirit has come on the believers on the day of Pentecost. So they go out from that place and they are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the cool thing is that one is preaching in the language of one person that one person understands. Another is preaching in another language that people understand. So the people are looking at them saying they're drunk. Well, Peter says, no, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. He continues on. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So what Peter does then is he goes back to the Old Testament book of Joel to explain what's happening. Now, for sake of time, I want to jump down to verse 21. After Peter has explained Joel, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He continues, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and then Peter quotes Psalm 16 to further expound on what he's saying. I'm going to jump down to verse 29 now. Peter continues this sermon. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, and now Peter quotes Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Continuing on, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now look at this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized 
And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now that was a lot of reading, but I hope that you saw Peter reading, explaining, illustrating, and applying God's word to, there's, to where there's a response. And what's the response? The response is that the power of God falls on the people. The question I want to work to answer here is, for just a moment is, is this. What type of preaching is best? What type of preaching is best? Now, I'm going to tread on some rough waters here for just a moment, okay? Yeah, I would say that if you were to go to six different churches around, around Winston-Salem, there's a chance that you could hear six different types of preaching. Um, Alistair Begg is a, is a pastor up in, um, in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, in writing a book on preaching, he, he lists out six different types of preaching just as he sees it. And, and here's, what, here's what he says in his book, Preaching for God's Glory. He lists them. I kind of give a little bit of commentary with each one. He says, first of all, that there's the cheerleader. The cheerleader. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about a cheerleader who is, um, who is dressed to be in a ball game, okay? That's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the person who, who stands up to preach and they see as their primary responsibility to pump up the people and get them ready for the week. They're going to have a hard week, and so let's do everything we can to pump them up right now. The problem is that oftentimes what we're doing in that is that the sheep leave church stirred but not strengthened. Stirred, but not strengthened. Then there's the conjurer. The conjurer. The conjurer pulls a rabbit out of a, out of a magic hat when they're preaching. They get so preoccupied with giving you something that you never saw before. Here's a simple little thought that, that man, it blows your mind. They pull something out of nothing. And oftentimes, they completely miss the entire context of God's Word for that one little tiny nugget that they can pull out. And it may or may not fit with the rest of God's Word, but here it is. Number three, there's a storyteller. And listen, there is nothing wrong with telling stories in a sermon. In fact, I do it often. I told you one in the beginning about me preaching to the squirrels and the cows. But it should be to illustrate what we're talking about from God's word. It wasn't long ago that I watched a video of, of, of a man who was preaching, and I kid you not, 25 minutes of his sermon was all stories. That's all it was. And then there was two minutes at the end where he reached out there and he grabbed a verse and he pulled it down so that we could understand from, supposedly from God's word what he'd been telling us in story form. That's the storyteller. People would have left that sermon from that man talking about how great a storyteller that man was. Not talking about how great God is or having sensed and, and seen the glory of our great God. There's the systematizer. You see, is that even a word? It is now. I don't know if it is or not. In fact, when I put it in, in Word, it came up that it was misspelled. So I assume it's not a word. But that's the preacher that's so focused on a doctrinal lecture that they forget that the Word of God is applicable to life. They're so academic that they're no earthly good. There's a psychologist um, this is the one who spends their entire time preaching, giving you 10 ways to a healthier marriage or to a happier life or a successful life with very little Bible use. It's, it's a whole lot of self-help based off of his wisdom and his knowledge. But then there is the expositor. The expositor. And this is by far 
the one that I believe to be the most God-honoring and true to Scripture. So when I ask the question, which type of preaching is best, this is the type that I'm going to point back to over and over and over again. Because the expositor takes the Word of God, and they use it to guide the sermon. And you know, there's some times in which there's a topical sermon is, is appropriate, and in many ways, this is a topical sermon today. But the steady diet of the church should be on expository preaching. You say, well, what is expositional preaching? What is expositional preaching? That's another blank that you need to fill in there on your, on your handout. And I'm going to borrow a definition here from J.I. Packer when he says, expositional preaching is letting texts talk. Letting texts talk. It's, it's taking the Word of God and letting it be the guide for the sermon and for life application. It's the belief that the Word of God is so important and that what God has proclaimed and preserved in His Word is so vital to life that we allow the Bible to be our guide when preaching. We believe that our God has not said something important to say to us. We believe that He preserved it in His Word and that even now we can grow and we can learn about God and about our lives from his word. So we allow his word to teach us and instruct us. Now right now you're in Acts chapter two. I want you to go all the way back to the middle of the Old Testament to Nehemiah chapter eight. Nehemiah chapter eight. In answering this question of what is expositional preaching, there is, a, in my opinion, there's no better passage than Nehemiah chapter eight. And at this point in the book of Nehemiah, the walls have been built the people are all gathered together, and, and we read, starting in verse 1, about what happens. Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Jump in there with me as you get there. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And I want you to catch this. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Mesai on his right hand, and Medai, Mishael, Makojah, Hashem, Hashbadanadias, Zechariah, Meshalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sarabiah, Jamin, Akam, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. Did you catch that? Those men helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense, in other words, what it meant, so that the people understood the reading. What an example of what preaching is supposed to be. God's word is opened up. The people listening are attentive to God's word. 
There's, there's teachers who help the people understand God's word. The teacher takes God's word and interprets it in such a way that it makes sense in the context of all of the word of God and where it's easily understandable. This is the kind of preaching that Salem is committed to. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not the funniest guy in the room. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm not the guy that you want to call to entertain people. But if at the end of the day, when we are done with our church service and when a sermon has been preached, you leave with the understanding that look how great our God is and I better understand my God and his word because of us being in this place that I've been faithful with what God's called me to do. That's my job as a preacher and that's the job of any preacher or teacher that opens up God's word to us. It is that you understand God's word better when you leave than when you came in. One of the things that we are committed to at SBCS is providing teachers and preachers every single week in chapel for our students who use the word of God as their guide and who challenge our students from God's word. As a church, I pray that we always have a firm commitment to allowing God's word to shape our sermons and our, and our church services and our individual lives. You say, well, what's the benefits of, of expositional preaching? What do we expect to be the result of this type of preaching? Well, number one, it gives glory to God. Continue filling in in your handout. It gives glory to God. It doesn't reserve any of the glory for any one of us. It simply gives glory to God. Because anytime you focus on the word of God, it will shift the focus, the focus from yourself to God. Number two, it forces us to be students of God's word. Forces us to be students of God's word. And when I say us, I mean all of us. It starts with me during the week as I am opening God's word and preparing and, and studying. And then it carries on to you as you sit and, and listen and then take it from here. And I hope that you're thinking about it and dwelling on it, opening God's word again throughout the week so that you can continue to study. When our small groups meet throughout the week, they're going to they're go back to what we studied on Sunday morning so that they can um, be developed and continue to learn. Number three, it holds the preacher accountable. I'm going to go back for a second here. As I'm reading those names, how many of you thought, it just skip over those names? Anybody? One beautiful thing about reading God's word at face value is that it doesn't give me permission to skip over those things. Now, have I been guilty in the past sometimes of doing that? Yeah. But I've also been convicted of that. No, God's word is God's word. It holds me accountable. You know, there's some really tough stuff in the Bible. Some passages that I look at and I say, God, you really want me to preach on homosexuality? You really want me to preach on things like lying? And you want me to preach on how you are a vengeful, sometimes wrathful God, but also a God of love? God, how do I, how do I weigh that dynamic? What holds me accountable to actually preach God's word and not reserve for myself what I'm gonna decide to preach. But then number four, it provides balanced scripture diet provides balanced scripture diet. And when you look at the whole word of God, there are multiple genres found all throughout the word of God. There is, there's doctrine and gospel saturated letters that are written to believers. There is, there, is, um, there is chronological history. There's future prophecy. There's all of these things. So you get all of those different genres. It balances us out. Scripture is diverse. And expositional preaching allows that diversity to come out and provide a balanced diet. Now, I've got one more question, but it's not a question that's on the screen for us today because I wanted you to write this down, okay? As a, as a question comes up, what do we preach? What do we preach? 
It's not enough to talk about why we preach. We've got to go to what we preach. And for this, take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's writing so that he can, he, can, he can, number one, greet them, but then also so that he can help develop them and teach them and, and instruct them. And, and as he gets to verse 1 here in chapter 2, here's what he says. He's talking about the time in which he went to Corinth, and, and he says this. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with proclaiming to you the testimony of God with, with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In other words, what Paul is saying, and just to sum all of this up for us today, and that is that we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That that is a central message of anything that comes from this stage and from any time that a believer, a pastor, a teacher stands up to teach others, we preach Christ and him crucified. I seek to make every one of our sermons gospel-centered to where even if we don't walk through the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection, when you leave, you know how the gospel impacts all of life. But Paul says that is where our power is found. It's not in my ability to, to wax eloquently. It's not found in my ability to use the right words at the right time. The power is found in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus has the power to change your life? Not only does he have the power, he's got the desire. And I don't know what you brought into this room today. I don't know if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian. I don't know if you're a backslidden Christian or if you are hot in your relationship with the Lord. I have no idea. You're the only one that can speak to that, you and the Lord. But what I know without a doubt is that there is power in the name of Jesus. And what I know without a doubt is that he is waiting with open arms saying that I am ready for you. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that God wants to transfer us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And maybe you're here today and there's never been a time in your life in which you realize that Jesus died in your place for your sins. And if you realize that you've never repented of your sin and never given your life to Jesus, then today can be the day for your salvation. The hymn writer, in writing a hymn years ago, says it this way. He says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And if right now you're finding yourself in the middle of that dungeon of sin, and you've never given your life to Jesus, and repented of your sin, then you can be free. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. We preach that life is only found in Jesus. We preach that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no way to get to the Father except through him. 
That's an essential that I hope that you can get behind. That is something that I ask you to hold me accountable to. That is where I know without a doubt our church will be successful in what I believe to be the vision that the Lord has given us to reach 1% of the lost population of Winston-Salem with the gospel. That's where the power is found. Not in me, not in you, but in our great God. Father, thank you for your word. Father, help us to stay faithful to your word. Father, it doesn't just contain life, it is life. Father, we know this to be the very word that you have spoken and that you have preserved for us. And so, Father, we pray that we will hold on to it with everything inside of us and that when we preach, as we rightfully should in accordance with your word, Father, when we preach, we preach Christ crucified. We preach the victory of the resurrection. We preach the hope that is ours in the future. We preach our great God who orchestrated all of this. Our Father, we love you, but we only love you because you first loved us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place, the death that we deserve to die. And Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, then may today be the day of salvation. And if that's you here today, then I would just very simply say, come see me after the service or a Christian friend, and we'll show you what it looks like to enter into a relationship with our great God. Father, thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.